You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. for that nice intro you are listening to the sneaky good podcast this is poser and we have a full house tonight as always i have my producer chris who reminds me to say nice things about the mud bugs for the free use of their music always and also we have coming in live from canada across the border seth bonjour and just <laughs> south of the mason dixon line so it still counts as the south we have jake hi y'all that is the worst y'all ever it really is <laughs> <laughs> we might have to ban you from ever saying y'all. I mean, that was not how I normally say it. I just—you said it was the South, and Seth said bonjour, so I thought I had to like do something. That's not how I would normally say it. All right. Well, since you're in Baltimore, you can say "Hey, Hoyne." Because, <laughs> as we all know, the uh, Mason Dixon line is the y'all use line. And don't all lay out on me at once. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We are, um, we've taken a couple weeks off because, you know, I had to go visit my family. I was actually in Maryland, so I was not in the woods of Towson trying to find Jake to kill. Um, I was visiting my brother and going to museums. And eat um, lots of crab. And eat, uh, eat my body weight in crab. Still delicious. And I know this is an LSU podcast, but <laughs> crab is better than crawfish. Sorry. Whoa. 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 Hot take time. I don't understand how Louisiana can be so good at cooking and make so many delicious food because, by and large, Louisiana cuisine kicks the crap out of everything. Yet crab, like, somehow just bedevils uh, Louisiana. And the boiling of crab just bothers me. It's, it's not a crab boil. You steam crabs. It's, it's not that hard, guys. I don't know. Maybe you it's where everything you go. We need to get Billy on this. We need to argue about the, the proper way to make crab. I just know um, the last time I ever ate it at a Ralph and Kaku's, I had steak, which I know is a little sacrilegious at a seafood restaurant, but it did come with crab all over the top of it. That's that's okay. I'm a big so, fan of that. Yeah. And I, I do like the Louisiana-style crab cakes. I'm not saying Louisiana can't make crab at all, but I'll never figure out the, the boiling thing. It just, it's just you for crawfish. So now that I have uh, um, offended every Louisiana listener, <laughs> and I'm going to get all the hate now, and once again, I do admit all Louisiana food is better. So I'm not going around the limb here. That's the only thing Maryland does better, okay? The only thing um, is we are now close enough that it's LSU football season. Spring practice is open. Oh, fall practice is opened. Yay! You guys are super excited. I can well, tell. Like, really? You leave me hanging with my little yay there? I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, come on. You you listen to these to like these interviews with Coach O or I heard Kevin Falk and you have no idea what's going on because every unit is amazing, every player is amazing. 
it's going to be the best team of all time. So I'm, I'm really lost with LSU football right now. Guys showing up in the best shape of their lives. Best shape of their lives. <laughs> best shape really, ever. Uh, they have recommitted to the game. They have focus. There's no more distractions like there was last year. We're going to buckle down, and now I'm just going to concentrate 100% on football. That's it's, – it's training camp season, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what This is cliche season. And we have the early news that there's a couple of injuries and a couple of guys sat out the first practice. Anyone worried even a little bit about that? Not, not really. I, I, it's funny when I saw the couple of players that uh, weren't practicing today, actually, and I was thinking, because since we're not inside the walls – we forget that, you know, because I've been around enough training camps where it's like, well, yeah, guys just sit out. Like, yeah. and no one's worried. And they just sit up. He tweaked his groin. He stubbed his toe. You know, all this. You got a bad haircut. You got to sit out. Like, it, it's this thing that happens when you're going. Uh, you know, I don't know what the what the format is now in college football. But, you know, you're going twice a day. You're going one and a half times a day. Whatever. People are going to get tweaks and stuff. And until we hear that someone tore his ACL... There's no point in being worried. Yeah, the, the one thing that worried me is uh, we've had really bad luck with our star players going down. Not with huge injuries, but with like a nagging injury. It happened to Fournette. It happened to Geis. Okay, Key, you know, Key was suspended for a year, but then Key had a nagging injury the entire way. They seem to get like just a high ankle sprain, and then it never goes away the entire year. So I'm... Um, the one thing I do have a little bit of nerves about is that after the practice game this weekend, almost everybody came back into the lineup today. Almost everyone was practicing except for Grant Delpit. So I'm hoping that's just extreme caution. But if he has one of those nagging inju- injuries, it's going to kill me. Uh, LSU deserves to have one of their star players actually play their full season at full health. Yeah, I mean, even even last year with uh, Chase on going down in the first game, it, it would it would be nice. I just, I mean, it's not going to happen because we're LSU and we're yeah, not I, have good things. I mean, the injury, yeah, the injury luck that LSU has had has just been unbelievable the last couple of seasons. I mean, everyone gets injuries. I, I mean, I understand that, but if you look at who's been hurt for LSU. LSU has essentially lost its star play, its best player every year for about three years now. And on top of that, the attrition on the on the offense and offense and defensive line has been catastrophic, particularly on the offensive line for the last two years, I think. Yeah, I, I find that shows up the most. I mean, we say it every year, I know, but it shows up the most against Alabama when we just can't block anybody. Yeah, because, I mean, you just have these bodies that are worn out, and, you know, you're on your second string. Now, does anybody think it's conditioning or the way we're practicing, or is it just just bad luck? I know they have, like, the whole situation where they're, they're set up with the trackers and the helmets and all that stuff. So, I mean, they're doing their due diligence with, um, you know, the physiotherapy and the athletic trainers. I'm sure of it. Uh, so I got to say it's luck. And we've also got the big ice box, so. Yeah. Wasn't Fournette's injury and like uh how did he hurt it? Um, he had a high ankle sprain in early in fall practice, and then he played the Wisconsin game, the season opener, when he probably shouldn't have played, and that exacerbated the injury, and he just never got better the entire year. I mean, his high junior ankle, year, high ankle sprain, like what are you gonna do about that? Like that just happened. Yeah, I, I mean, 
it's not a popular answer, but I, I also agree. With, I think it's bad luck. And you think after a while the worm would turn, but it really hasn't for LSU. Well, I mean, like you said, like, hopefully this year. Yeah. Nothing bad yet. <laughs> so are we waiting for the other shoe to drop, or we think you know we're finally due for some good injury luck? I'm going to just, you know, keep quiet and hope that that helps. Okay, so you don't want to tempt the gods? Yeah. Now, before we kind of get into this year's season preview and what we're going to look for on the team, I think the question, uh, something we had talked about a couple weeks ago, and we promised we'd get to it, Seth was saying that he was going to break down Tua. And before we get into this, I saw Joel Klatt, was, you know, who I pay very little attention to, but he tweeted out his uh, the best players in each conference. And for the SEC, he listed Tua as the best player in the SEC, and I kind of think that, while that's you know that's a defensible pick, I don't think two is the best player on his own team. I think Judy's their best player. But am I wrong in thinking that it's the? And I realize two is still a very good player, but I think it's partly the receivers that are making him look so great. Or am I totally off base on that? Is that wishful thinking on my part? And so we go I, to our expert. Boy, I think the receivers are incredible. Yeah, and, but like it's funny you said because you said okay, well, hey, maybe. Maybe Tua's not even the best player on his own team. And then I'll say, you say Jerry Judy, and I'll say, well, maybe Jerry Judy's not even the best receiver on his own team. <laughs> like, they're nasty. They're absolutely nasty. Like, I heard, I saw recently someone um, at Bama camp saying that Jalen Waddell is, like, the best receiver they've ever seen or something like that. So that that's scary. Oh, God, I can't even think about that. Uh, and I, I will go I'm, – I'm standing by this statement. I think Alabama receiver core – is the best receiver core I have ever seen on a college football team. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, the, you know, I think that, you know, you talk about the Joel Klatt tweet. Is he talking, like, purely the best player? <coughs> then, yeah, I could see your argument with, with Judy or, or you know, if we're talking the whole SEC, obviously you put Grant Delpit in there. If we're talking, like, valuable to his team, you know, and, and we're talking um, position value, it's to me it's not even close that it's, that it's to a – He's 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 as good as almost any of the guys that have come out, um, you know, the past uh, you know ten years or whatever at quarterback. He's got he's got everything. He's got the timing down. He's got the accuracy. Um, I just saw something. PFF had him at like the highest percentage of like perfectly placed passes. So we talk about okay, well, everyone's open in the Alabama offense because they have great receivers. But at least he is putting it. You know, he's not making them come back for the ball. He's putting it on them. Um, he's just great. He, he, the system is, and I know things will change obviously with Sark though, though I can see him bringing a lot of NFL concepts that are, that Loxley actually used, uh, last year. So I don't think the system will change that much in terms of what they want to do with Tua, but he played in a system last year that, really showcased how he's able to kind of come off of reads and go through his progressions and still deliver, um, you know, catchable targets to his, again, great receivers. And, you know, I, I compare that to a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who I think is, I, 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 I try not to say this too lightly, he's the best quarterback I've ever seen in my whole <laughs> life. <laughs> you know. Good Lord. Um, well, the dumbest offense of all time. What do you mean by that? So, what, you know, the Clemson's offense is, is dummy-proof so that when, when a guy like Kelly Bryant is playing there, 
they can still, you know, get to a national semifinal like they did and win the ACC like they did two years ago with Kelly Bryan, the starter. You know, they, they, don't, they don't have a lot of concepts. They really don't. They got a little nice, you know, two, three uh, games in their uh, – two, three concepts in their quick game. They have about three, four in their, like, full five-step dropback game. It's not a lot. It's really not a lot, but they execute it at such an incredibly high level, you know, in terms of the O-line, the running backs, and the receivers – so the quarterback, all he has to do is, you know, you can throw a boundary corner route. You can throw a little out route, uh, you know, a stick route at five yards. So it's sort of like the kind of the Mike Leach thing where you only have a couple of plays, but, you know, he can run it out of a million formations. But he really only has – he has a very small playbook. You know, his whole right. idea is I would say simple. Even, it's almost even smaller than that playbook. <laughs> it's like less things you can do because at least with the air raid stuff, there's like a progression and stuff. I mean, we're talking about like – you know, you'll, you'll turn on a Clemson tape and they're running, you know, hitch, corner, you know, smash yeah, uh, to both sides, mirrored smash concepts 12 to 15 times a game. But guess what? It works because they have he's talent. Throwing, throwing them, he's throwing them to the field. There's no one else in, in football, especially at an, as like a 19-year-old kid who's throwing 8-yard, 10-yard breaking corner routes to the far sideline against Alabama. So just, I, I was, how outraged are you that people kind of talk about Justin Herbert as being the presumptive number one draft pick and not Trevor Lawrence? Well, Lawrence is going to come out next year. Oh, yeah, Lawrence is an outrage. Yeah, he's, he's still... He's like, he's still got two years. Well, he's, sorry, sorry. He has one more year at Clemson, and then he has one year at XFL Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'll stay at Clemson. Uh I wouldn't risk it in XFL Dallas, though playing for Stoops. <laughs> do you think? Do you, do you guys think that? Uh, like, if you're if you were the XFL, if you were um, uh, one of the top dogs there, you you would you would try and pay Trevor oh, oh. Lawrence thirty five million dollars, forty oh, million dollars for playing? That's that's what the USFL did with Herschel Walker. I mean, back then people didn't come out early. And so they threw a ton of money at Herschel Walker, Marcel Dupree. I mean, they got these guys to come out early. Steve Young. They got players that the NFL wasn't allowed to bid on. So they could not just overpay them, but they were bidding against nobody. Mm. I feel like it's possible. That, did the CFL do that too? Because I know that you know Montreal had at one point um, Johnny Rogers. He never. He didn't play in the NFL. He went straight to the CFL, which is God, that's weird. Just God. which is weird as hell. But it might have been the same thing where they they were able to pay guys a ton of money. Yeah, I mean, I know for a while the CFL was trying to throw around some money, but I don't think they ever had the advantage of only we sign underclassmen. But then again, Johnny Rogers was so long ago. Maybe yeah, that, he might have come out as an underclassman. I honestly don't know. Sure. We don't have to. We'll have to Wikipedia his career. But yeah, like that's how a lot of those upstart leagues create a lot of attention. They, uh, the ABA did it back in the seventies. They, you know, they signed you know Moses Malone out of high school. So if they get Trevor Lawrence as a sophomore, yeah, why the heck not? I mean, it's not an NCAA rule that you know binds them. The problem is there is if you're the XFL, does that tank your whole league? If you know you have this imbalanced salary structure where you know the Dallas team is paying you know twenty million for Trevor Lawrence, and then every that's you know I don't even know where the other teams are, uh, but the Cincinnati team that's their entire payroll. I, I, I'd imagine it'd be a thing like well yeah like I, I don't know how this the financial structure is going to work, but I imagine you know you do it like the MLS 
and yeah. have like your designated player thing. You can make as much money as you want. Plus, yeah, you have Wayne Rooney, you know, playing out yeah. there for DC United, and then then ditching him, going back, yeah. Yeah. going back to Derby, just breaking my Leeds heart right there. That that hurt me twice. I'm from DC and I root for Leeds. Wayne Rooney screwing me twice. That jerk. <laughs> <laughs> But you do think, you know, we're kind of getting off on Trevor, but Tua, if he was so great, this is my, you know, uh, this is a loaded question, but I still want a, a real answer. So it's going to come out mean, but uh, I do want the real answer. If he was so great, what happened in the, you know, he in the two of the last three games where he didn't look good against Georgia? I mean, I know he got hurt. And then also, you know, it had a terrible championship game. His only good game with a three of his final three games was against one of the worst defenses in college football. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. Obviously, Oklahoma, he's fine. The Clemson game, I couldn't tell you that much because I only saw the broadcast angle, so it's not mm-hmm. always that obvious. Um, but I did check out the the, um, the coaches' film from the Georgia game. And, I, and honestly, I wasn't like – because I, I couldn't understand. I was like, how can a guy have this good? And obviously, Georgia's a great defense. Yeah. It's good just, just lay, lay an egg. And I didn't, I didn't think so. I thought that there was a lot of plays where, I mean, Georgia's they're good, man. I watch these two defenses, so I'm going on another tangent. No, it's okay. I, you know, sometimes Georgia the reason is Georgia is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you watch Georgia's defense, you watch Alabama's defense, and obviously they're they're incredibly similar. They they're so physical, and they're they're waiting for the referee to throw flags, and they're they're not going to because you can't throw a flag. You know, the, the, the human referee is not going to throw a flag on every play, right? They're just so physical with the receivers right at the top of their routes. They don't let them get into the route. They tr- they throw off the timing. Uh, it just they're really it's really fun to watch because LSU is LSU is very different in that way. You know LSU will you know the way Aranda wants his corners to he'll press the corners, but it's like that soft press where, where yeah they're in front of you, but then they're just kind of mirroring your route. Uh, whereas with, with, you know, Kirby and, and Nick, and, and I guess, you know, I haven't watched a lot of Tennessee, but I guess Pruitt there, uh, they're physical. They're so physical. They just throw you off so much. Sort of like um, the so, Seattle Seahawks of college football. That's, that's, that's what I was going to say. I mean, we all, you know, like, I guess I'm the only Saints fan in here, but yeah, well, I remember when we, when the Saints would go to play Seattle and we've lost twice to Seattle, uh, I said the last three times we've been in Seattle, we lost and, and they just throw throw you off and those were the legion of boom days but yeah. they would just throw off your timing and stuff and even you know teams as good as the saints uh, on offense just couldn't deal with it and again the referee's not going to throw a flag every play so why not why not yeah. grab and hold the whole time yeah you know push the limits of the rules and you know make them call it so too i thought too was fine honestly i thought too was fine against georgia you could tell he was injured uh you so, know hobbling a bit yeah so it's more of one of those, hey, they, they're playing really good teams. Don't read too much into it. Yeah, and there was some drops. Like, you know, there's a touchdown uh, catch that was dropped and, and this and that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that could have changed the whole championship game. You know, if they yeah. you know, the Clem and the Clemson game. I mean, that was a, a big early drop, kind of changed the tone of the game. And games kind of have personalities where it's not always, you know, just the film. It's, it's the particularly in college. You know, these are kids. You know, the emotion of it, you know, once you start getting behind the eight ball and it just feels like everything's going wrong, which is a weird feeling for Bama. But I think they kind of had one of those games against Clemson. Yeah, and it, and it's tough to take anything away from Clemson 
Oh, no, yeah. They're the ones who created the atmosphere. So yeah, exactly. It doesn't make it illegitimate. Uh, Clemson was a, a great team, even though um, uh, I think there was a made-up quote that uh, from an a and co- coach that they were the fourth-best team that they faced that year, uh, which was funny, but I don't think it's real. Because <laughs> that's what Twitter does, is they make up real uh, fake quotes, and then everyone gets mad about them. But... Turning to LSU this year, I know we've both both talked about it a lot. I think one of the keys of the season, I know it's it's weird, is the red zone offense because it has been dreadful for about two years now. And honestly, that's one of those things where I just can't, I can't explain it because from a number standpoint, it's a very variable stat. So <coughs> it's supposed to kind of come out in the wash. Like if you have one bad year, next year's probably going to be pretty good. But it hasn't worked out that way. So is there things – I know you've written about it, but are there things in the film that say, hey, this is what LSU is doing wrong and this is what they they have to do to improve so they can turn those results around? I think that if I were going into this year, and again, I, I wrote about this in the article, but letting the court, letting Joe kind of use his legs in the red zone would be super important. You know, I know a lot of us offensive coordinators who talk about that. Hey, once we get down to the red zone, you know, even if we don't have this super mobile elite runner quarterback, and, and Joe is, is certainly above average in, in those respects, that's when we really want to use him because now the def- everything's tighter. They can kind of get just just by the um, the lack of, of uh, you know, square space, more people around the football, so we need that extra kind of blocker uh, instead of handing the ball off and we'll use the quarterback as a runner. I think that'll help. We know that Brennan was injured, so they didn't want to they didn't want to uh, risk it with Burrow last year. Hopefully everything's fine this year and they can they can do that cuz there were some really nice runs in the red zone. I mean, overall, there were some really nice runs from Burrow on read options or counter reads or all that stuff. So, uh, I think that'll be a way yeah. to I kind mean, of ease things. I mean, I love running the quarterback out particularly like inside the five, because it gives you options. You know, you can do, go out. Do you guys remember what year is Paralu? Paralu is what? Oh, four or five. Um, yeah, because it's before the, uh, 2007 seasons when he, he gets kicked right. off in Oh six, I think. No, no it's Oh five. Yeah. Oh eight. God. Wow, yeah, man. He's the SEC championship game of MVP in the title game. Here. So, so anyways, what they used to do, I love this. Whoever, it didn't matter who was playing quarterback at the time, but they would get down to the goal line and they would run, go under center, put Paralu in there, and they'd run option with him. And it worked all the time. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's like it, it, it tilts the numbers advantage back in your favor, right, when you can use the quarterback and have an extra blocker. So, I, you know, you see it all the time. Jamarcus Russell, quarterback draw. We got vicious on that. Heck, I mean, even though he wasn't much of a thrower, I mean, Matt Mock. Could yeah, run the ball. Exactly. You know, I mean, he, uh, that was, you know, to use another team, Tim Tebow was, you know, one of the best goal line you know, quarterbacks out there. And, you know, he was a terrible passer, but it didn't matter because, you know, he was just such a threat with his legs. He, you'd have to commit a linebacker to him. And in that small, such a small space, I mean, you only need a very tight window for a tight end or a receiver to get open. Yeah, exactly. And then we see what you, when you commit everyone, and they do that stupid jump pass and then all happy and blah 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 ah the jump pass I don't I don't like it when Florida's happy no me <laughs> mm, I'm sorry about that 
Hey, not to so, jump ahead to listener questions, but we have one specifically about this topic. Okay. Well, then, uh, so Max, right now. Max Toscano uh, says, so the red zone offense blows as an amateur X and O nerd. I'd love to know what specific concepts and philosophies Joe Brady and his background could throw at the problem. Throw into the running back. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's, that's such a big one. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is kind of built for the Saints offense. I mean, I don't want to say he's as good as Alvin Kamara because Alvin Kamara's really good. But, yeah, he was kind of wasted last year. You know, he's he's not the kind of back who can just run into a seven-man front. You know, he should be playing – I mean, to even use an, a very old terminology, he should be playing in the West Coast offense. You know, the Bill Walsh thing where the running back is getting the ball in space where it's basically a handoff just wide. And, yeah, I think that would really help the offense. Just that one little – that's just one little tweak. And I really love the idea of rolling out the quarterback because moving the pocket, particularly on the goal line, it just buys you that couple of seconds – and you need so little on the goal line. Right. And I think this is where hopefully, you know, the, the regression stuff finally hits in our favor is with those type of plays. Because I, I didn't realize it as the season was going on, but when you watch all of Burrow's pass attempts in a row, and then you're like, wait a minute, every time they did that, you know, and every, time, every team does it, you know, like I wrote in the article, Spider 2 Y Banana. We all know what Spider 2 Y Banana is. It's that rollout play in the goal line with the fullback. Yeah. Throw it to the fullback, throw it to the fullback, throw it to the fullback. I don't think LSU completed, and then they weren't all Spider 2 Y bananas, but I don't think LSU completed one of them last year in the red zone. It, definitely not in SEC play, I don't think. And then I don't think in the Miami game either when they tried. And there might have been a two-point conversion in one of the games, maybe Auburn, I'm not, I don't remember. That has to, that has to, has to, has to regress back to the mean, and someone will be open. Because it, it shouldn't be that hard to, to just leak a fullback out in the flat from the two-yard line, right? Yeah, and also like you know Stephen Sullivan, the six five, you know two hundred and forty yeah. pounds. He does not have a red zone catch in his LSU career. How many uh, did Foster Morrow have? Four. Um, I can look that up while you guys talk about something else. I will find that out. I think some of it is, and I mean this will obviously balance is important to like every offense in every area of the field. But last year LSU couldn't really run the ball, and so you're not going to be great in the red zone if you can't line up I mean, there were several times where they had to go for it on fourth and one because they couldn't get a yard on third and one so like when you can't run the ball that's going to limit you in the red zone and then in 2017 they had one good one like half decent receiver i mean lsu's second leading receiver in 2017 was Darrell williams who was running back so if you can't do one half of the thing in the red zone, I mean, it's it's really easy for the defense to. I mean, again, it's really yeah. easy everywhere on the field, but especially when the field is shortened, and you know you have less space to you know try something and you know create a mismatch or something like that. The thing, hopefully, this year, which is what they, what the coaching staff is saying and what everyone is hoping, is that they're going to run the ball better because they have hopefully a healthier and more experienced offensive line and. John Emery is and Tyrion Davis are probably higher ceiling running backs between the tackles than um, Edward Tiller, even though I do think he's really good, and Nick Brissett, who did have a good year but is not that kind of runner. And then hopefully Joe Burrow takes a leap to be a very good QB um, and can make plays, you know, in the red zone. And they should have a solid depth at wide receiver that they haven't had in a long, long, long time, really. 
Also, and to make you feel better, Foster Moreau, over his career, had 10 receptions in the red zone for five touchdowns. So that's oh, that's, I, that's what you want to say. Uh, so well, the, I, there was the one where he broke a bunch of tackles against Rice, I believe, last year. That's the, pro- the problem is, is he only had two uh, receptions for 27 yards in his senior year. So, yeah, <sighs> they kind of. Anyways, I think every every podcast they bring up Foster Morrell, and I'm done. I'm done with it. It's a new season. And, 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 hey, no, hey, you brought it up, and I just wanted to make you feel better. They, he did get double digit times. So, yeah. new hobby horse, Stephen Sullivan. <laughs> it, it'll be nice to see. I, I think it'll be interesting to see where they play Sullivan and the type of things. Because so Foster Morrow was a tight end for LSU. He, no matter yeah. where he lined up, he was a tight end. Yes. And you know, with a new kind of offense coming in, you, you're interested if, if they do more of the stuff that you see, which a lot of people will call like more of an H back position. So he's going to come across the formation and go to the flat. You know, they're going to – he's not just going to be part of, you know, an extension of the offensive tackle. He's going to be a, a piece you can move around pre-snap and especially post-snap. The one problem is he sort of t- tips your hand of what your, – your personnel is telling the defense something because if Sullivan's on the field, he's probably not in there to block. He, he's probably in there to run a route. If Moss or Pettigrew are in there, they're probably in there to block. Now, they can also run routes, but if you're on the goal line, if you put Sullivan out there, you basically told the defense, this is a pass play. It'll be interesting to see, you know, when I think about Brady coming over from the Saints, recently the Saints haven't had a, 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 like a superstar or, or at least above, a, a, even an average tight end in the offense as, as long as Brady was with the Saints. So, yeah, you know, like they had Josh Hill, who you knew it was, he just wasn't going out for a pass. Watson at that point in his career couldn't really do anything. So, but it'll be interesting to see how, if they can incorporate some of the stuff where you see teams use with, with tight ends like Sullivan, who's like, he's a hybrid, right? He's not quite, a, you know, they didn't like him that much a receiver, but they feel like they can get matchups with him on linebackers. And he, all he has to do is just be good enough in the run game. Right. At least, and at least you know you could you could you could run the ball a little bit while he's on the field, and then and then force them to keep uh, stay in at least a nickel package or or even a base package, and not like have them put an extra DB in the game when he's there. That would be very nice. He's enough of a mismatch, depending on who he's lined up, that you just say, "All right, yes, you know what we're going to do, but stop it." Yeah, well, that's... that's sometimes what the game comes down to. Is okay, yes, you know what we're going to do, and. So we're going to put our guy on your guy, and here you go. And so, yeah. I mean, and also, we, look, we can't do it all the time because, yeah, then obviously it becomes repetitive. But yeah, down there, if you're like, well, yeah, see if someone can guard this dude who's huge and can catch the ball. You know? And also, sometimes you're able to go against tendency with that. Like you're putting in Sullivan, hey, it's a pass play. You have a chance to, you know, run a draw right then because yeah. no, no one's expecting it. So there, you can't do it all the time, but again, you you need to be able to keep teams honest. So it's not just the personnel. There is the chance of this is a chance. I don't want to call it a trick play, but it would at least go against tendency. Right, and the, and there's things that again LSU doesn't hasn't done almost ever. Um, but but you can use these type of kind of move tight ends where you know you take a simple zone read, and so we saw. Uh, Joe Burrow have Joe Burrow have a lot of success on zone read 
you know, I think about the Georgia game at the end when he, he had that 50-yard run or whatever, and there's a few other good runs. So the zone read, but you put the tight end. I don't want to get too technical here. Yeah. But if you put the tight end here on the on the front side, so where the zone is going, and then Joe Burrow is going the opposite way if he keeps it. And what teams will do is they, they have different tags for that kind of off-the-ball tight end. So he's, he's next to the tackle. He's kind of behind the offensive tackle. So with the zone going, let's say the zone is going to the left. Now Sullivan comes back to the right, and you have a multitude of things you can do. He can, be the, he can block the end. He can run into the flat. He can arc for a linebacker. You know, there's so many things you can do that LSU didn't do with Foster Morrow or really any, anyone else that often that really suits Sullivan. And it's also just what every other freaking team does in, in the world. So, Well, I was going to go through and we're going to uh, do previews of each of the position groups. But I know we have a lot of questions this week. So I'm going to put that off till next week where we can also – that gives you guys a chance to research each one and you know, have some opinions on each position group. But instead, let's just take, you know, the thousand foot view of LSU season. What does a successful year look like? What are your expectations? And I hate to say, you know, what's the minimum level for for success? I think they got to win 11 games. Now that can be 11 games with a bowl. Like they go 10 and two, say they lose I don't know, maybe to Texas and Alabama. Maybe they drop one to, in the Florida-Auburn-Mississippi State stretch. Um, and then to Alabama. I think. They, but then if they get into 10-2, and two, we'll, I'm sure still get them into a major bowl game. And then if they win that, they go 11-2. and two. I, I, If you win 11 games and you win one of like the six big bowl games, I'm really not going to complain about that season. Or if they run the table besides Alabama and they're 11-1 and – who knows? That might backdoor you into the playoffs, depending on how it all shakes out. Do people think that if LSU can beat Texas, can LSU make the playoffs even with losing the Bama? That basically means you think Texas is going to have a great year. If they're 11 1 and they lost Alabama, and if the Bama game is close, I th- think, yeah, I would be. I'm not going to say. Uh, yeah, you can't say definite because you don't, you, don't yeah. you don't know what the other permutations are out but there. Unless, unless there's like, we get a weird year, which sometimes happens, where it's like there's three or four undefeated. If there's two or three other conference champs with one loss, I yeah, I could see I do think there's a real decent shot based on kind of just how the committee kind of does it, and maybe even what the narrative would be. Maybe this would be one time where the narrative might actually go in LSU's favor, that I could see, yeah, an 11-1 and LSU getting into the, the playoff as the fourth team. Seth? I, I put a lot of pressure on the Alabama game. I say that like I, I, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself, like I'm part of the <laughs> <laughs> But that, to me, it's like, ah, man, I just want to beat them. I just It's been so long. So for me, I, I, if everything falls the way it should, then I don't, you know, this is such a talented team. I don't know why we couldn't go and, and be one of the top teams in in the in the country again. I don't know why we can't be in the top four. I, I don't know why. Yeah, we should. I, We're that good. We're that good this year. I, I mean, I look like this. Um, I do think this is one. LSU kind of has that four-year cycle. Um, you know, 2003, 2007, 2011, 2015. Just things happened. So we're now at year four against 2019. This team is loaded. Uh, this is one of the best 
most talented LSU teams ever. But also, more importantly, the schedule falls so well for this team. Um, we're talking about a season in which the Auburn game is probably the third most hyped home game. And how often does that happen? That's crazy. LSU gets everybody at home except for Bama. Yeah. Yeah, a third most hyped home game, and Alabama is not even a home game. Yes, it's... Which is good. Like, yeah, I, I think I agree. <laughs> it doesn't really matter at this point if we play them at home. I mean, that... Yeah, exactly. Like, Bud Elliott, I think, said it somewhere. Like, we could play Bama on, in Mars or something. Like, it wouldn't matter. Like, I, honestly, I think it's kind of worse at home. Uh, Jake, you know this because, you know, you're a Caps fan as well, but, like, when the Caps play in the playoffs and in, in a Game 7 at home... One bad thing happens, and you can yeah. feel it around the entire arena, like just butts puckering. And I was like, oh, my God, something bad's about it's to happen. It's happening again. Yeah, it's happening again. And that's LSU at home against Alabama. And it's not just this streak, which, God, it's been going on too long. It is in, it is in the whole town's head. But, I mean, you know, 20, 30 years back, I mean, LSU had a 30-year streak where they didn't win a home game against Bama. I mean, this is, you know, father to son – the grandson has now passed down an LSU complex against playing at home against Alabama. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you're an old man. Okay, I started watching LSU football when Alabama was in the Mike Shula, just about the Mike Shula years. <laughs> like, I want them to go back to being that Alabama and that that's Alabama like, we can like beat every year. Yeah, but we didn't beat that Alabama every year. <laughs> that was the problem. Like, even when they were Mike Shula. Uh, what is it? Bill Bill C. put up, like, something on Twitter earlier tonight. Like, Bama's average S&P Plus rating for, like, every year since 19-whatever. And it's, like, it, literally, it's, like, 90th percentile forever. And then, like, they drop, like, for, like, seven years. And then it's 99th percentile again. It's, like, yeah, it, yeah they're it's, bad, like, once in seven Yeah, years. like... They complained about the Mike Shula years, and they were like six and five. They won ten games one that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, like they weren't even six and five. Yeah, I don't think you know if a player comes to LSU, it's not in his head because I mean, like he he had no part of the losing streak, but it is because everybody else, the guy, his teammates, you know, the seniors, you know, they've lost you know once or twice at home, you know, or. or three or four times in a row now to Bama. So it's in their head, so they pass on to them. You know, they go to class, everyone there. The professors, <laughs> like, they have a complex about it. You know, they get in their car, that they turn on the radio. You know, they turn on a podcast and listen to us. You know, they turn on the internet. They go to any of the web pages. Everyone is talking about this streak, and they've been talking about it. So even if you're a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed freshman with no knowledge of LSU history – by the time the Alabama game rolls around, you are well aware of it. And you've kind of become – you have part of the complex too. I think the players have kind of – and I've, I think I've said this before. Like, I think the players have kind of done a good job of getting it out of their heads a bit. Like I think for the guys who were on the 2011 team, I don't think it ever went away from them. Like, I think yeah. it was there forever. And it, it meant that – I mean it meant so much to them. Um, they never – got over, you know, losing that game. Um, and so I think it in, at, in the 2012 game and the 2014 game, where it was just kind of little mistakes, I think the pressure for them was so enormous. And it affected their other games, because all they wanted to do was just get revenge. Now, the last couple of years, I don't know if that's... I think it's it's been a regular sort of level of 
big game. I think the issue has just simply been they've just whooped their ass, really. There's and there's nothing really you can. I yeah. say there's nothing really you can do about that, but I mean I don't think it's like a thing where they've let it get to them. They've just been outplayed, and which is not good. But it's it's I, not I because of a mental. Fix that like you can fix getting outplayed. You can get better players. You can fix your schemes. You can prepare better. All these things. I don't know if you ever really can fix the feeling of, oh, my God, it's happening again. Or if we lose this game, it's the end of the world. I don't know if you can fix the mental aspect of it. But you can get better players, which they've been doing. And you can make scheme adjustments and things like that, which they've been doing. And and now it's about putting into practice on I mean, the field, which we haven't done yet. But um, I mean, it would be an amazing feeling if LSU could go into the Bama game knowing they could lose and still be in competition for the playoffs. Yeah, that makes that Texas game pretty important. Yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on the And look, it, it's no certain thing that LSU will be undefeated at that point. There's a lot of good teams in this conference. State loses a lot, but they're still good. Florida hates our guts. They're good. Auburn, I think Petaway is going to be like their number four running back. They return so much in the backfield. They, you know, they have like 200 returning offensive line starts or something ridiculous. I, I mean, they're going to be good as well. They're, they're just there aren't any layups on this schedule except for maybe Arkansas. Um, yeah, and Ole Miss. Um, I, <laughs> but uh, Ole Miss, look, never underrate hate. I don't know. They're, they're really bad. God, they are. Yeah, they they're really, really bad. They really <laughs> are. Like, like, they're, like, so bad it doesn't really matter if you, like... They might be too bad, like, the to um, enforce the throughout the record books rule. Like, Yeah, I, I think it might right. just be. But it's... That said, I mean, LSU plays a lot of tough teams. So I don't want to write anybody off and say, oh, well, we're going to get to Alabama, we're going to be undefeated, and it's going to be easy. Yeah. That's not true. But this team is good enough to make it to that game undefeated, and the schedule lays out pretty well for it to happen. I mean, you don't have, like, Auburn backed up with Florida. You know, once you play Texas, it's not like you just go immediately into your you know, your SEC opener. You know, there's, there's these little gaps. It seems like it alternates. You have tough game. A little bit easier. Tough game, a little bit easier. And I, I think that's really going to help the rhythm of the season. Do you know who might be better than Ole Miss and Arkansas? Well, Utah State. Utah yeah. State. Utah State is not a gimme. Uh, they, they, have, they have, you know, we talk about quarterbacks on the LSU schedule. You know, Tua is number one. Ellinger is number two. Uh, then, you know, the kid there in Utah, you Love, he's probably four. Best yeah. quarterback we're going to see? Third best quarterback we're going to see? Depends on how you feel about Kellen Mond. Yeah, exactly. My my lanky my lanky son, Kellen Mond. <laughs> You're lanky. Yeah, it's a... Um... Schedule's a schedule. That dude's a 32 touchdowns to six picks last year. Yeah. That's scary. I think it's a good balance. Like, there's not any bad games. Or not, or, no, that's not what I meant to say. Like, there's not any, you know, like, two super tough games kind of bad. like but there is i don't think i don't i think there's only two weeks on the schedule where they get two like layups in a row which is yeah. northwestern state and vandy and vandy's uh, not terrible no vandy's not terrible but lsu should yeah uh, i agree and then yeah. ole miss and arkansas like those are the two because like you get utah state and then like that's a tough one so like following vandy on the road that's a there's a buy in there but that's a tough one. And then you follow Utah State with Florida, which is, yeah, know, 
not a given. But I mean, it's what, and I think that's good. I think it's good that there's not a stretch where you get like three or four in a, or games in a row where you get, yeah, you start to, yeah, you get into a lull. Yeah. yeah, there's no sag. It's a it's a schedule that requires you to always stay sharp. And there's not also, even though I said it kind of does that little bounce, you know, where you kind of go tough game, easy game, you know, relatively speaking. There isn't a whole lot of trap games, to use the classic. I, I guess the closest you would have is Utah State, because that's going to be right before Florida. Yeah, and right after – is it right after Texas, or do you have, like, Louisiana Tech in there somewhere? No, I think Utah State's after the bye week, isn't it? Yeah, it's Texas, oh, okay. the Northwestern okay. State, then Vandy, the bye, and then – So that kind of helps out. Like, you would think – one of the things that's going to help it with the trap game is they're going to have two weeks to be like, hey, we have to game plan for these guys. They're not going to spend two weeks planning on Florida. Though, yeah. this place is going to go crazy for the Florida game. Yeah. If there is a, a, a game on the schedule that LSU cannot lose, it is Florida. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, think, I think the general attitude towards A&M is that A&M got a, a series of colossal good fortune that might might never repeat itself, and they still needed seven overtimes to beat you. And that's irritating, but I don't really think it's, oh my god, A&M's past us. I think it's more like, oh my god, we were cursed in that game, and, you know, whatever. Let's just move along. They need, That's what it took for them to beat us. Florida, a lot more bad blood there. And this I, know, is I, kind think, of, I think what happened at the end of the A&M game kind of... Yeah, helped. it was... Yeah. They, won a, they won a rivalry really bad, and I think LSU is now willing to hate them back. Give it to them in, you know, like that we care about you the same way Florida or Alabama or Auburn, but in a, all right, fine, we'll, you know, perfectly get ourselves up for this one and whoop you down pretty bad. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think with A&M, it's more like, hey, we got to teach you a lesson. Yeah. Florida, it's, this is a blood rivalry right now. Um, I, this is the first true home game against Florida in like four years. And, yeah, people people are going to be pissed during that game. When's the last time I was thinking about this? When's the last time that we didn't, we played Auburn this late in the year? You know, the, I think we played on when Jeremy Hill ripped them apart. That was in, like, mid-October, I think. It wasn't quite as late as this, but remember when, you know, Hill just destroyed them? That was an October game. Sorry, I, I get confused because there's been a lot of running backs that have destroyed. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll take that. Okay, Fournette, you know, Hill. <laughs> so I got to go back a little. Um, but yeah, like. 13? I think that was in September. But yeah, Fournette, I think all those were in September. Let's see. We played them in either early October or September. This should we claim in late October, which. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, this is late October because this, this is, is normally when we would be playing Ole Miss. 2011, yeah. we played them October 22nd, which I, I think is about the same week. Basically, yeah, I do remember that one. You know, that was the that was the last game before the game of the century. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking of a different one. I was actually thinking of the the field goal game, but that's. And then 2010, the one where uh, Cam dragged Patrick Peterson was. Oh, yeah, that looked like Thank we used to always play that. Yeah, that was the Patrick Peterson game. That was. Yeah, so week eight, which is about, I think this one is. <laughs> well, so yeah. Yeah, take it back. The, the Jeremy Hill game was October 4th, so it was barely an October. Oh, looks like from about 09 to 11 or so, we had them in the same spot. 
like three weeks. But yeah, that week. But now, then we switched to early, kind of. But now it's a bit later. Yeah, 2002 and 2003, you had October 25th and October 26th when we traded 31 to seven games. They beat us 31 to seven, then we beat them 31 to seven. That's just weird. And then, of course, the latest we've ever played was 2001 because that was the 9/11 game that got rescheduled to December. Okay, so here's my. I'm gonna reveal something. Uh, I didn't. So I didn't know much about how this scheduling worked in 2001. I was yep. how old is that? 13, 13, something like that. Right. Uh, so you know, I, you know, in Canada, we there's not a lot of college football exposure, right? Especially not, you know, at Louisiana State University. Yeah, and particularly not 2001. Yeah, 2001 LSU was not a major player. Right, that too, exactly. So so they make it to the, uh, they're having a good year, and the game gets rescheduled. And this is the year that I kind of start following and kind of figuring out what's going on. Oh, I'm, I was born in that state, so I have a connection, blah, blah, blah. So I just assumed, because I think Auburn had an, was having an okay year too, and I think the, our records were very similar at that time, yeah. at least in SEC play. No, I think and the, the winner was going to go. Yeah, yeah. the winner the was. Winner. It was like the SEC West Championship. Yeah. So I thought every year that there was going to be an SEC West Championship. <laughs> no, no, no. But that because what was weird is we used to always play in September. I mean, that was the run from '92 to 2000. It was almost always our SEC opener was LSU Auburn. So, and since at the very beginning of that LSU was bad, it really put you behind the eight ball as soon as the season started. And that's why the ninety um, the ninety five game was such a big deal. You know, when Donardo says, "Hey, we're going to bring back the magic," you know, that was basically saying SEC opener. We're playing a top ten Auburn team. We're going to win. And you know, LSU had, had six straight losing seasons, so it was a really kind of let's set the tone for this. It wasn't that it was Auburn. It was that let's set the tone for the season. You know, we're a good team, and it actually worked out for them. Like that's kind of the foundation of what LSU football would become in this century but what what's the deal what's the transition from donardo to Saban? oh we can do that one uh but basically <laughs> what happened there is that donardo hired a guy named lou tepper as his defensive coordinator <laughs> and tepper was just not very good and he didn't fire him and the defense went from really good to really bad really quickly but the real <clears throat> terrible year was uh, 98. LSU went to the season as a preseason top 10 team. Uh, they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, I think. That was Cecil Collins, Rondo Mealy, Kevin Falk. I mean, this was going to be a great team. And they ended up going 4-7 and seven that year. And they started the year 3-0. and oh, So do the math. Uh, <laughs> and the crazy thing is in that uh, eight games – when they went one and seven down the stretch, they still beat Mississippi State uh, forty-one to six, and Mississippi State tied for the <laughs> SEC West title. So even then, we owned Mississippi State. <laughs> but yeah, but and in Donardo's, there's not a whole lot of defense for the '98 season. But in Donardo's defense, uh, Cecil Collins ended up getting kicked off the team because he was a criminal. Um, <laughs> But also, LSU lost a series of one-score games. It, that, it was just kind of creepy. I think they lost to Georgia by a point. Uh, we lost to Kentucky at the wire. 
lost to Ole Miss by, I think, less than a touchdown. Bama, I think, was a six- or seven-point game. Uh, I know we lost to Notre Dame in a back-and-forth game. We lost by a field goal because I was at that stupid game. <laughs> like, I, I mean, LSU yeah, lost like, So one point to Georgia, three to Kentucky, overtime to Ole Miss, six to Alabama, three to Notre Dame. Yeah, they just lost a ton of close games. Yeah. They were better than their record, but they still shouldn't have been that bad anyway. Because even if you say they go 500 in those games, they're, what, a seven-win team? Yeah. This was a team that should have won 10 games. And right, okay. that was the beginning of the end of the DiNardo era. And once DiNardo got fired, they tried to fi- hire um, – I think that's when they tried to hire Pat Sullivan – and no, Pat Sullivan, that's how DiNardo got. It was Sullivan and DiNardo were the ones who were in competition. So, yeah, when DiNardo got hired, got fired, really we didn't know who was going to be the coach. And Saban kind of came out of nowhere. And I remember thinking at the time, we're going to hire the guy that DiNardo beat in the Independence Bowl? Because <laughs> we beat the Michigan State team. Like, it was like, this guy's not any better than DiNardo. We just did this. And now Saban was pretty good. He came in and just completely revamped the program in really short order. Right, but, and we know he can do. We know who he is now, right? But in his, you know, it wasn't like he came into an empty cupboard. When Donardo got here, there was nothing. And Donardo had a couple of good seasons. He had some good recruiting classes. He had built up some credibility. So when Saban got to Baton Rouge, there was some talent there. And a lot of the first guys he was saying the pros were DiNardo players. When he, you know, he won the SEC title, these were guys DiNardo recruited. So it wasn't like he came into an empty cupboard. I think DiNardo should get some credit for building a foundation. He just couldn't get to the next level. Saban, of course, was able to get to that next level. And then he went to the NFL and has been um, going into his 15th year as head coach of the Miami Dolphins. <sighs> Yeah, I never heard from him again. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Great run. Think about how, how weird, um, you know, obviously we're talking to a lot of uh, people who live in Louisiana right now. So let's say, so Saban leaves LSU and goes to the Dolphins, but what if they signed Drew Brees? So they signed Drew Brees and the Saints are still the franchise in the NFL. Hey, Except maybe LSU has two... <laughs> Hey, they could have Philip. Wouldn't they have ended up with Philip Rivers instead? I forgot yeah, how the signing worked. Rivers would have stayed in. in oh, South. San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the maybe LSU has two more national championships because Saban doesn't come back to Alabama. I mean, certainly we would have won in 2011. Right. Exactly. 2012 too. Yeah, and then honestly, if you don't have the rise of Alabama, how long does LSU become? I mean, I don't think LSU would have become at what Alabama's become. But they certainly would have been on the level of what, like, Oklahoma has been. Yeah. Or Ohio State. Yeah, it's a uh, – so, yeah, it, it shows that Louisiana is only allowed to have a little bit of happiness. <laughs> so we've had to split it between the Saints and LSU. No, we're so, getting the double this year. It's happening. Yeah, we're getting the double. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> They're both going to win. We've, we've earned it. And with that, let's move on to some questions. Well, we talked about the red zone offense already. So we'll yeah, we can skip that. skip that one again. Uh, our good friend Jacob Hibbard uh, was very prolific with the questions. We touched on this one briefly, but I want to see if you guys have anything to add. He asked, how concerned are you about these injuries, and is 11-1 realistic for this team? Um, yeah, I think 11-1 is not just realistic. I think it's 
I think it's a realistic realistic goal of this team. I, I think s- schedules are too hard these days and too long for anyone to realistically go undefeated in the SEC. If you think about it, Alabama, I don't think, has an undefeated national championship team in quite some time. Uh, most of their teams, even saving teams, lose a game. But I think 11-1 is what this team is shooting for. I mean, that is – and so by definition, I think that makes it realistic. But you need things to go right. You, you know, the injury luck, I think, is the big thing. LSU's just been gutted. You, they can't lose, like, Grant Delpit. You, you can't lose a guy. They can't lose Joe Burrow. They need some health on the lines. I mean, they've just been running guys through there. Uh, I think that's the biggest factor. They need health and a little bit of luck. And, I mean, that's what it takes to go to 11-1 for anybody. Yeah, I'll say continuity in the O-line is probably a top three thing that needs to happen for this for them to go, you know, 11-1, 12-0, whatever. Yeah, I mean, if, if they're healthy, I mean, yes, I guess some of it's, you know, I guess hoping with, the offense, you know, that it is going to be as advertised. The defense could just be ridiculous. I mean, but just, yeah, really, I mean, they could be truly, I think, three, four All Americans on this, on that defense. Um, maybe even multiple first teamers like last year. Maybe, I mean, more than that. And then I don't think they've had as much talent at, at the offensive skill positions that they could have this year in a long, long time. So if, if they stay healthy, they're really – this team is just – it's such a talented team. It's yeah. Incredible. And even though we're not talking about it, I mean, John Emery is a Darius Geist, Leonard Fournette-level recruit. Yeah. I, I mean, he is a five-star recruit. I mean, he is – on another team in another year, we'd be talking we'd – talk, we'd be falling at the mouth of this guy, talking about how great he is. And on this team, we're like, yeah, we got a five-star recruit, and he – you know, maybe he'll start. Or maybe I mean, he won't. You know, I mean, that, we're – with the unfortunate injury to <coughs> Trey Sanders, he is by far clearly the best running back that'll be a freshman, like coming out of high school in terms of the recruiting rankings and stuff like that. He's the clear number one now. Like maybe before he was 1A, 1B, whatever, but since Sanders unfortunately got hurt, he is definitely I – mean, he's not even just number one. I think he was like a top 12, 13 player. Yeah. He, over on the <clears throat> yeah, I forget what his actual 247 rank is, but yeah, he was – and it's just funny, he's, we're not, I think LSU fans are, they're confidence this year, but there's this kind of this cautious confidence where we don't want to talk anybody up too much. It's like, yeah, you know, we think, uh, we think Emory's pretty good. And that's about as far anybody wants to go. Yeah, and I think, I think the other thing is, which is nice for him, is he doesn't have to come in and be the savior um, because Joe Brady's being talked about as a savior. <laughs> Yeah. So like, you know, there's no, there's there's a lot less pressure on him to come out and, and just be this unbelievable running back, and we have to rely on him, and give him 30 carries a game, because we're all expecting, you know, that nice balance and and uh, you know, the run pass balance and all that stuff. So, it also helps that Stingley comes in as the super recruit. Yeah, him too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, like, I said that this defense could have like three All American stuff, and I actually wasn't even counting him. <laughs> I, I, I forgot, honestly. Like, like this secondary. Fulton, Delpit, and Stingley, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, that's that's crazy. And, and if Stingley is, I mean, he seems to be, I mean, I mean, you have to wait to see it on the field. But by everything we've heard and obviously with what he was in high school and his commitment and preparation level, yeah. seems to be he'll be a stud 
he really strikes me as a Patrick Peterson type. Yeah. Where he he just he is a professional player playing college ball. And I don't just mean that in his talent level, but just how he carries himself. This is a job, and he is – there is just no BS to him. And then you got Jacob Phillips could be great. Michael Divinity good. Chason, um, if he's healthy, I think. Yeah, I mean, you just go down the list. It's ridiculous. And then, again, even on the offense. I mean, Chase, Marshall, Jefferson, I think could be a very great receiving group. Yeah, it's not Bama, but it's it's a really good receiving. Call. No, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, who, who was it? Is it is it Marshall who's was been injured, kind of like on and off for? Yeah, I, I think it was Marshall. Yeah. yeah, it was. And then you know you saw that you saw glimpses last year. He, he turned what it on kind of a player. He could be in the Fiesta Bowl. He really started to show, and actually, so did Jamar Chase. Like he just yeah, that's the guy that they're talking about a lot down there. Is he's supposed to be. Uh, having an outstanding camp right now. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot to big catches in the uh, the Georgia game. He had he only played nine games last year, um, but he had two big catches in the Georgia game. And I mean, he averaged 16 yards per catch, which in small sample that's quite solid. But yeah, Chase seems to be the yeah, that... um, breakout. I mean, he had several breakout games. I mean, he what he feel like he missed like three or four touchdowns um, on those. Yeah, it um, did. Like, he just at the one. Yeah, God, he did. It was just. Yeah. All right, yeah. our yeah, next question. Well, Jacob also wanted to know what are we expecting from Joe this fall, and I'm guessing he means Joe Burrow. Well, of course he means Joe Burrow, or you know, and maybe Joe Brady. Yeah, Joe Brady. We'll have to guess. Let's go with Burrow. Uh, I think Burrow. I think he. Oh man, he's fine. He was fine last year. I think that if Brady can get him a more comfortable throwing over the middle of the field, that'll be really nice. That'll open things up a lot. I think what worries me about him is that he kind of trusted his receivers to go get some balls down the sideline a lot last year. And they did. And it's very possible that, you know, you know everyone's coming back, so everyone's a year older. And they do it again. And, you know, we talked about Chase. Like, think, think about all of Chase's – all the Jamar Chase catches you can think of, what are they? They're like, they're like him going up and getting the ball. You know, how often are they uh, – him running uh, a dig or, or a corner or this or that or whatever. So I think that scares me a little bit if Burrow can't progress to being a type of quarterback that can hit the middle of the field and go through progressions and all that stuff. That scares me a little bit because – Maybe that's just not who he is. So we'll see. What I like about Burrow is that he can he can add something with his legs. It's not entirely, you know, with just with his arms. I don't think he's going to rush for like a thousand yards or anything. But I I do think he can maybe give us you know four or five hundred yards on the ground, which is really helpful to this offense and can keep defenses honest. I think when he graduates, he will own two of the top five. Uh, single season uh, passing yardage seasons in LSU history. He already has number four, and I think he's going to knock that down the list. Uh, the question is is whether he's going to top Rohan Davey. It's 3,347 is not impossible. Um, I don't want to say it's easy, but I, I think it's within his grasp. I think Burrow could knock Davey off as LSU's uh, single season passing leader. I don't want to say... 
he said what was a three four four seven. I think he has to be near that for this team to be like what it is touted up to be. Like I think he's yeah. or at least he's got to be close. I mean, like I think. He, He's got to add 400-something. He threw 28. I think he's got to be 62, 3% passing, 3,300 yards, and 22. I mean, touchdowns is a little iffy because sometimes that can be gobbled up by running backs and stuff like that. But I think he's got – he had a lot of games last year where he threw for sub-200 yards, and now he had some big ones. He threw for 394 against Central Florida, and he threw for – 270 against AM, and he threw for 292 against Mississippi. So, um, and 249 against Auburn, though that was on, he didn't have a good completion percentage in that game. But so I, I think he's got to have, I think he's got to take the step up, which to me is 62, 63% completion. He's got to throw for 3,200, 3,300 something yards. Like his yards per attempt and adjusted weren't bad last year. They were 7.6 and 7.9. I think they got to be closer to, a bit closer to eight, if not. If this team is going to be, I mean, if he's yeah. if he's as good as if he's the same, I think this is probably a better team than last year, but slightly. And so then you get into still a nine and three, ten and two kind of deal. If he is a step up, then yeah, I think this is an eleven and one kind of team. And then if it's multiple steps, well, then we're getting into you know kind of crazy territory. I don't think it's that because seniors ultimately and fifth year seniors ultimately just don't really tend to get you know make those multiple steps but yeah i think one notch better which is what i'm expecting because of the scheme and because of the fact i do think he made strides during the second half of last year um and then obviously i think just the talent level is risen on this team i think he can take a step up and then anything from there is gravy i suppose and then you're getting into you know this team is going to be just really 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 hard to stop yeah i think what's encouraging is that if you look at his numbers, you know, from a split stat, like October was clearly his worst month. I mean, he was averaging 5.7 yards attempt. He threw zero touchdowns and three interceptions. He had a passer rating below 100. November was clearly his second best month, and December, January was <clears throat> well, he only had the one game. So let's just put it all in the November. But November was clearly his best month, and and beyond. And that includes the Bama game in there, which was not exactly him lighting things on fire. So even though he has one of his weaker opponents in November when he, you know, got the light up rice. He also had to face, you know, Alabama play UCF play A&M. He just looks like a quarterback where the light went on. I think that Georgia game was really a pivotal, pivotal game for him. Even though his numbers weren't that great in that game. I think that's when Burrow kind of became the LSU quarterback. You know, before then he, he really was just a guy under center and it was keeping the lights on. And, after the Georgia game, he was a guy who was trying to win games for us. And he, he started to become an asset. And you hope he can build off of that finish into this year. All right. Yeah, I hope so, too. I'm oh, sorry. Well, I just think there's 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 room for improvement. And you can see, like, I could see the places where he would improve. And if that happens, like we all kind of think, and I do, too, he, he's going to be really good because he's already pretty good. And yeah, I think some of that you know, that helps. It's, and I think you're right. The, what's good is you can identify the things he needs to improve, but he also he he just seems like a star quarterback. He just has an air about him where he kind of carries himself. He kind of has that swagger that you want your starting quarterback to have. Doesn't make mistakes. I mean, that's 
Like, yeah, he threw five picks last year, which hey. is nothing really in a 13 game season. I mean, like, even the month of October, like, where he was, you know, his worth month. I mean, they played Florida, Georgia, and Mississippi State three weeks in a row. I mean, those are, that's murder as far as. Those are pretty good teams, yeah. Particularly on defense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, yes, do you want your starting quarterback to be able to play really well against great defenses? Obviously. And he can't be what he was in those three games this year. But it's still like those are really, really, really good defenses. Especially Georgia, Mississippi State it might be like two of the top three or four defenses in the country. And and look at Georgia, he made up for with his legs. He you know he only yeah. so even though he only threw for fifty percent of his passes against Georgia, he rushed for sixty six yards and scored two touchdowns. So you know, grain of salt. Joseph Light wants to know how concerned is the staff with the depth at cornerback? Seems like it is an injury away from starting another true freshman. And are there any other depth concerns on this team? I don't know. I don't think our uh, depth at defensive back is that precarious. Not, I mean, last year in the uh, bowl game, you know, we're playing a wide receiver out there. Uh, so <laughs> I think things are going to be a little bit better. Um, I mean, if you look at it, you're at the corner. You've, I mean, you've got Fulton and uh, uh, Stingley are pretty clearly your starters. And then, yeah, um, Netherly, Vincent backing them up. You have Kirkland. Coming deep, that's five deep. Jacoby Stevens at a pinch could, you know, move from safety, nickel back to corner. I'm not too concerned about the depth. I mean, it's not, I mean, we, we don't have a five star at every position and you know, on the depth chart, but I think LSU is one of the best one two punches in college football starting if Stingley is what we think he is. And they have a lot of guys behind him that I'm pretty comfortable like, I wouldn't be uncomfortable with, you know, Kerry Vincent having to play a game. You know, if, if like, Fulton couldn't go one game and Kerry Vincent had to play, okay, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and he'll get, he'll get, he'll be on the field. Someday. Yeah, of course. Kerry yeah. Vincent will be on the field. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a secondary so deep, we're trying to figure out how to play Jacoby Stevens. I mean, I mean, Mo Hampton is a phenomenal athlete. And, I mean, I think, you know, he was a four-star, but I think there was a feeling that it, it could have been higher on him. So, um, obviously, the freshman, and, you know, there will be a, a learning curve there. But, I mean, if an athlete like that is your third or fourth string corner, I think that's pretty good. I mean, like, if they get two injuries, yeah, maybe, but that's a bit. That's stretching a bit as far as, you know, like, you normally don't have, like, two or three injuries to. Yeah, I, I mean, last year we just had a rash. Um, yeah, it was like, I mean, Fulton heard it, like, falling in the end zone. I mean, that stuff's just kind of. Where am I worried about injury? Um, left guard is still wide open. Chasen Hines is the nominal starter, but the way O is talking, he hasn't locked down the position, which makes you, A, worry about Chasen Hines, but also makes you worry about the depth behind him. So I, I think that's probably the biggest depth question on the team. And then at quarterback, I mean, if Joe Burrow goes down, so goes the season. I like Miles Brennan, but this is not a team that wants to have a guy who's never really played under center as his quarterback all year. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Miles might be, I mean, it's, it's, he's a, he's a, he's a junior now. I know. God, time, well, time flies. Richard, Richard sophomore. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So he'll get, he's got three more years left. Oh, oh, okay. 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 Which is big. Cause it means, I mean, we'll have two more years after. Yeah. That. I mean, LSU will have a fourth year quarterback going into next year obviously one who hasn't played a lot but still 
when you lose a senior and you bring in a fourth-year quarterback, that's pretty rare. Yeah, I mean that's particularly with the transfer rare. portal these days. Yeah, but, I mean I think O line is as deep as you can be, as deep as you want at the O line, and you know you just still never want to have injuries there. I think defensive line they're good, they're set. Lawrence uh, Shelvin seems to be having a good camp. Uh, Fahoko think can have a really good year. Siaki Ika seems to be a guy who can. Yeah, like, you know, immediate impact. Yeah, I don't think there's anywhere on the field. Again, the line, but the line is always. I mean, if you injuries the offensive line, or even if you're, you know, deep, so to speak, it's going to hurt you. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's anywhere on the field really where maybe linebacker a bit because Devin White did so much that guys are going to have to take on larger roles, and if they get hurt, I don't know. The, the depth of linebacker is so good that. You know, they're talking about how Phillips might not start, and that's crazy to me. Jacob Phillips is am- yeah, that's true. Is amazing. I mean, this is the amount of talent that's out there, and they're all just – it's not because Phillips has stepped back. It's just because there's so many options. I think this linebacking core is actually deeper than last year. We just won't have Devin White. Yeah. Damani Clark seems to be having – making a big push to potentially start kind of out of nowhere. Like, I don't really see that coming. I mean – you never really know, but still, um, to have a guy kind of come out of nowhere with some of the guys you got. And, and Patrick Queen, I didn't have 40 tackles last year, five for a loss. That's better than I actually thought. Yeah, no, Queen, Queen's a contributor. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. he's, so that's actually better than I. So, yeah, I really like our linebacker depth. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think there's anywhere on the field where, I mean, that's why I think everyone's so confident in this team. There's nowhere on the field where they look short in any position. They look deep at. Uh, they got three wide receivers, Jefferson, Marshall, and Chase, who they feel good about. Derek Dillon, who made some big catches last year, can also hopefully yeah. you know, fill in as you know another guy. And Sullivan is a option, hopefully. So, yeah. And then, I mean, running back, they got, like, three dudes. Yeah, depth is no question at running back. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, hey, who knows? I mean, like, I know Billy's always been, you know, a fan of Chris Curry, who didn't really get a lot of time last year. I mean, feels like now he's slimmed, like, fourth on the – depth chart but he's still still a sophomore right he isn't you know i mean he's still a talented guy he didn't get he only had eight carries last year but he was still a talent coming out of high school so yeah everyone field this is a really deep team all right so uh joseph light also wants to know what do you make of florida it seems like the articles keep popping up about them losing guys to injury or transfer one quarterback just got dismissed recently how bad will they get stomped in death valley this year I got to love it. As much as I want to write off Florida and say they're not very good, um, they're really good. Um, I really like Dan Mullen as a coach. I think Florida made a good hire there. I'm not a huge Philippe Franks fan. I think he's a bit of a mirage. But they've got a deep stable of running backs. They lack uh, like a huge star back there, but they have guys. And, you know, they're all talented. Um, the receiving core is really good. And that defense... It's always nasty. Um, they have a, I'm not going to say here and, and say, yeah, I'm concerned that they have guys getting hurt. I haven't really followed their camp, so I don't know who's out. But Florida's got some players back there. I mean, they, you know, when you have a guy like Zaniga, you know, on the on the end, um, you got you know C.J. Henderson playing corner. That is a defense that can play. They can they can ball hawk. Uh, you know, David Reese is one of the better linebackers in the conference. Do yeah. not take them lightly. I, I want to stop their them. Corners, their corners are really good. Uh, they're a good team. Do not take them lightly. 
they could e- I don't want to say easily win the East, but they're a Georgia upset away from winning the East. Yeah, I mean they are they're really good, obviously. I mean they do lose they lose Hoshan Joseph, who was a fantastic player. Did Chauncey Gardner go to the draft? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chauncey Gardner was their best cornerback. He was a good uh, player for them. Could do a lot of different things. He was a really good player. They bring Donovan Steiner back on the on the secondary. They do lose some key guys on the defense. Now, granted, they seem Joshai Polite was a monster last year. He had 19 and a half tackles for loss and 11 sacks. Like, good God. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. So, I mean, you lose Joseph, Gardner, Polite. I mean, that, that's some tough guys to lose. But on the defensive side, that hasn't been an issue for them in a long time. They got good, strong depth at running back, and Dan Mullen maximizes guys' abilities. I guess I mean I just don't know if they seem like to me they seem like a team who will kind of stay the same, which is not, I mean fine like they won ten games again that's a good year. I guess I don't know if I see like room to maybe like for them to like shoot up. Yeah, um, I think that's. Very I think that'll depend on on who Felipe Franks is next yeah, year. Yeah, like I mean because he's not Franks he's not like very good. Look, like they look really good on paper. <clears throat> like I mean if you just look at it, it's twenty four touchdowns to six picks. And it's some solid adjusted temp numbers in that. But then you look at the the SEC play, and he has a passer rating of 125. Yeah. Like, it, it starts to really change when you throw out, like, Charleston Southern, Colorado State, and Idaho. Yeah, he, he was a bully. He, he, he destroyed bad teams. And even in the SEC, like, he lit up Vanderbilt. It, those are the kind of things. And, like, he had a great game against Florida State. And Florida State was bad last year. Okay, he did have a really good game against South Carolina, and South Carolina is a, a, a good team. But yeah, like against LSU, Michigan, Mississippi State. I mean, he was terrible against Missouri. That was his worst game of the year. Yeah, um, like Georgia. So like, yeah, against like the four or five, six best teams on their schedule, he wasn't good. And, and yeah, and if you're gonna w- win in the SEC, if you're gonna win the S- win the SEC, you need to have good performances against good teams. I mean, yeah, you, so- you can you can have one dud, but you can't have five. Like, yeah, I mean, they're going to be – it's not like if you're hoping for Florida to, like, fall back six and six. No, that's no, – no, no, no. Yeah, that's crazy. But really good. I don't think they're going to, like, become I – don't, like, I don't think they're going to win the East. Don't, I don't know. Yeah. I kind of have a feeling Georgia might slip up somewhere here or there. So maybe that might happen. But, and, I mean, their schedule is tricky. Like, they play Miami. I don't know what Miami's yep. going to be. Yeah, Miami's LSU. good. They're at Missouri, which could be tricky. You know, Missouri's Missouri. Pretty good yeah, Missouri's pretty good. Um, look, they got some confidence. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could be a, a, a tricky schedule for them, but they should still wind up around 9 10 one. Yeah, the East has a lot of 4-4 four and four teams, basically. Like South Carolina, well, Kentucky's going to fall back. But South Carolina was that level. Missouri, you know, Vanderbilt was right at that level. Like, it's there's a lot of just good teams in the East. And I think Florida's slightly better than they are. Those those teams, you know, they, they strike me as more of a five and three, six and two SEC team. But can they make the jump to seven and one, eight and no? I, I don't see it this year. But still, five and three, six and two is what LSU's been, you know, the last five yeah. years. They so, also draw Auburn from the West this year, so they got Auburn and LSU back to back. God, that's that's um, brutal. So that'll that'll probably determine really the tenor of their season right there. Vinny Bartles wants to know, and yes, I'm going to ask this question because it plays in with one of my other podcasts. I'm hosting an all-day Dungeons & Dragons session next Saturday, and in the spirit of that, 
What racing class are you picking? Yes. I'm always a big fan of the monk because you can go from totally worthless early into like a near <laughs> god uh, the more you more and more you play. But that's actually not what I normally play. I tend to favor the half elf ranger. Um, I like outcasts. Damn it, so that's like, mine too. So I like to choose someone who hates both elves and humans, lives in the forest, and wants everybody to bugger off. I'm a big fan of that kind of character. Which means I will murder everybody in my party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's usually the, the, more the thief that does that kind of thing, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you mess with a tree, you're going down. <laughs> <laughs> And it appears that Jake and Seth do not play. They are not the nerds that we are. <laughs> that we are. I, 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 I'm a nerd. I just have never uh, partaken in this kind of nerdery. <laughs> yeah. Wow, can man. I give you like a StarCraft character that I that I'd want to be? Like that's what I can give you. <laughs> well, yeah, StarCraft is just Dungeons and Dragons in space. So okay, right, yeah, exactly. We'll, so there you we'll go. Accept it. Yeah, we, we will accept StarCraft. Okay. Well, all right. I'll. I, I'll I, I feel like I'd just be a marine. I just want a, a guy who's and I don't got a lot of armor, but I got a machine gun, and and that's all I need to kill bugs. Right. I, every I kill every, bugs good. Every party needs a tank, and we appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs>